Hey, it's Dan here. If you want to hear this episode of the Backchat Podcast without ads and get extra content that no one else gets, head to backchatstudios.com.au where you can sign up as a patron and access all of our bloody good merch. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. G'day, welcome to Back Chat. We've got something a little bit different here. Now, mm. when I say different, I don't, I don't mean in a bad way. It's certainly a good yeah. way. We've, we've interviewed athletes. We've interviewed people from the media. We've never had someone on in the talent and sports managing space, so we are very lucky enough. I'm, I'm maybe more excited this, for this than most. I think yeah. it's an area of intrigue mm-hmm. to, the, for the, to the footy public, so we're very lucky to have Western Australia's and, nay, Australia's Leading talent and sports uh, agent, Colin too, Young. Going to be too far there, Scully. How, uh, how are you, Cole? I'm very well, and I am probably a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> Look, mate, um, I've got. I've, I'm a bit like Dan. I've I'm, I've been intrigued in this area for a long time. Clearly, I've dealt with it as a player, and I think we're going to open the can a little bit and get into a few things. You looked like going into it one stage, didn't you? I Remember? did. We had I a chat. We, we we met really? down at uh, the seafood place, Catalano's. Yeah. Because you said good. it's a good place to meet because no one has coffee here, so we're the only people <laughs> in the restaurant. Felt like some sort of back backroom deal. No one was in the restaurant with Cole. But Cole, before we get into it, that's I do want to thank uh, all of our sponsors: Margaret River Roasting Co., Whippersnapper Whiskey, Blue Bet, Shelter Brewing Co., Leaderville Cameras for having you on the show and making all of this happen. And the first question we ask all of our guests, Cole, I don't know how much of a backchat fan you are, but we ask the same question to every single guest. Okay, right. So it has to do, and <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm wondering how I'm going to frame this okay so we ask our sporting stars on here we want to know their greatest sporting achievement right not in their selected area of sport That's so right. i mean dan's taken five for 16 in a cricket match in under 12 grand final i was, an, I was an under now under nines 80 meter state champion in the hurdles so you, you, you're, you could basically pick anything. I, I want to know your greatest sporting achievement, full stop. Mm. At any age? Any age, yeah. preferably at a young age. I think age. I kicked 13 goals <laughs> yes. uh, for the Bentley Tigers. And uh, yeah. and the worst achievement was getting the flick from St Kilda Colts or reserves. <laughs> really? So were yeah. you a, were you a, um, you were full forward? Or were you uh, I did play a bit centre-half forward. Uh, but full, when I was growing up, I was probably half the size, so I was a little forward pocket. Dynamo, Hayden Ballantyne, pain in the ass. Really? Yeah. And now you're just a grown up pain in the ass. Yeah. <laughs> Full grown pain in the ass. <laughs> well, I was going to ask, what's your what's your history in sport? Growing up, you oh, play typical it? Melbourne junkie football. 
live, breathe, you know, shout at the whole thing in Melbourne. The age of probably 13, 14, I'll be running around Caulfield Racetrack on Sundays and great players like Tudnam and Thompson and Chief uh, uh, Skilts were running around there and I was about like nine just sitting behind <laughs> listening to their talk about what they do and <laughs> running around the 10 thing and 10 times and um, probably just footy all the way along. I just wanted to be um, a footballer. I remember at school, you know, the geography teacher go, we, we sat there and what does everyone want to be? We're going through the whole lot and, oh, I want to play in the VFL. Well, that's not going to make much money. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I did okay the first contract, the Saints, but um, – and then basically got transferred over here. I think Jez Linko told me to – I was probably um, – 21 going on 12, so he told me to beat it and go to another state, and so I came over to play footy with East Perth, and that probably lasted about four months after finding out what Sunday sessions are. <laughs> <laughs> so you so you, you play at a state level for footy. Is there a time where you're obviously in player management now? How long have you been a player? Player uh, nearly 20 years. So what's the what's the pathway from you know trying to make it as an AFL player, VFL mm. player? to, you know, moving towards player management? Um, probably got, you know, probably let my ambition get mixed up with my ability back then, you know, about how good I thought I was. And uh, Brian Cook was the reserve coach at East Perth at that time. Was and Greg, he? Yeah, and Greg Breer was the senior coach at East Perth and uh, probably um, just didn't take it professionally enough as what I should have. And coming from Melbourne and I know we always talk about the funny thing, you know, kicking those oranges around the belly seekums, I was just like, making excuses everywhere and... Uh, and then basically from footy, I just had a break because I'd been, eat, you know, I just all my life, just football, 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 watched every game and went and watched, you know, tr- uh, St Kilda train, I just down the road. And, and then basically uh, when I stopped um, footy, I went into the health clubs, um, you know, back into martial arts. And then after a hiatus, thought I want to get back into sport again. So applied for a job with the Wacker. Sponsorship, marketing, got to know I met Warney back in the day and then Damien Martin, JL, BJ. Started working with the cricketers. Fortunately, back then we had three or four West Coast games played so I could watch the, the West Coast. Mm. And then Fremantle came on board. And then basically, Cookie, to his credit, I stole all their clients uh, from CB Oval because Jeffy wasn't working that hard back then. <laughs> uh, so we filled up the Wacker ground, built some more boxes, sponsorship went through the roof. I really enjoyed what I did because I loved it. Um, Cookie put me in for a job at the AFL just to get rid of me and uh, to his credit I got the job and then just about to move back to Melbourne and um, Cookie rang me up and said have you taken the job I said yeah he goes I want you to come over and work for West Coast and worked for West Coast for six years had great CEOs in Cookie and Nizzy went down to Fremantle worked there for three and a half years I had a couple of good CEOs down there as well and then during that time you could sort of meet with you know sportsmen you know Damien Martin I looked after him for a bit and, and cricketers would be JL or BJ Gilly asking what their managers do and what they don't do and then you get to West Coast and speak to what their managers do and what they don't do and what they should do and you sort of forget that Richard Branson type process where you're trying to work out, well, this could be something I could look at down the track. Mm. Just keep on building what your own what your own thought process would be as a player agent. And then I'm, at Fremantle, I think we're um, – I was talking to Aaron Sandlands and Paul Medhurst and J-Lo and Tro- Troy Longmuir and a cast of others about their managers and I thought there could be an opportunity to, to sneak in here because I didn't think at that stage there was – the managers were doing great jobs over here. There were accountants and lawyers and not part-timers. Mm. I'm not big on anyone doing anything part-time. You're either you're in or you're out. So I sort of ripped the Band-Aid off and said I'm out and um, started player management with Paul Corporate Sports and we've just gone, you know, 
pretty well ever since. So you sort of you've come from a marketing and sales background, but then being around those elite organisations and your your own experience as a, as a player, albeit not at the highest level, but you've been through the ups and downs mm. of selection that sort of stuff. Um, at at it, would it be fair to say that it was fairly unregulated when you first started managing, like managing players, like the actual industry? It was more. There was more bulliness to the to the industry because the people, the player, you know, the, the Ricky Nixons, the Paul Connors, and they were, they were pretty well settled and entrenched. So it was hard to get in um, right. to try and break it. And players sometimes are very loyal to their agents. Um, but at that stage, because there was more part timers in WA, there was an opportunity here mm. to get involved. And um, at that stage, it was marketing and sales pre-orientated. Of course, having known all the sponsors from Frio, West Coast, the Wacker, that side of it was taken care of it. So the opportunity to get yeah. players more involved in sponsorship was good. And then working with Cameron Schwab during trade period and learning how he went about it, you know, what, where he went to to get trades done and how he pushed the buttons and speaking to, you know, footy managers at time about their contracts and how they did them without them knowing what I was thinking at all times. So when I became an agent, I knew most of their tricks Hmm. So, because it is fairly hard to start from day one and go, I'm going to do Will Schofield's contract. It's the first one. What do I do? What's his value? What's yeah. going on? What clauses? So you really needed to know on the other side what the, what the clubs get up to. Which, yeah. which side's the dark side then? Is the club land Well, the they say the agents are the dark side. Probably was back in the start, but the <laughs> club pretty well got me covered now. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell. So, so who was your first player then that you, that you signed that you were managing? Um. I haven't even asked that question. I'm pretty sure it might be Aaron Sandilands, maybe. Um, it's a big one to start with. Yeah, well, literally. Literally, yeah. yeah. Was, he was like a baby giraffe and um, <laughs> Schwabby actually got me onto it. He, um, he said, uh, well, I was watching Aaron train and he's all young and I'm going, geez, he's a bit gangly and yes, all Ruckman are like that, but trust me, this guy is going to be a star. And I went, okay. So from there he went from probably Aaron... Uh, Paul Medhurst, who superstar, J Lo, Troy Lomua, Roger Hayden, Michael Johnson, Dion Woods. So there's a lot of Freo guys. Yeah, there. then then, 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 then West Coast Curry, uh, and then from Curry, Chad Fletcher, you know Tyson Stangline, um, Quinny Lynch, you know, and then just and just all great blokes. You know, just very fortunate. The right, I was in the right time at the right place. Can, can I strip it back and, uh, again, like I said off the top, I think there's a lot of intrigue into the industry and uh, start, starting with what, what would you say player managers do, player agents? What, what, what do you do? Well, what's, your, what's the <coughs> primary role? What, what? Every, every management company would do something different and that's the, the probably difference of when you're going to pitch a player to come on board is this is our difference to their difference to, um, you know, what other companies do in Melbourne. And, and, and so at the time uh, when we started, I thought, well, obviously sponsorship was a massive key. Mm. So, you know, I remember doing Curry's first sponsorship deal. We got a, a pool and a spa bath from Freedom Pools from Bobby Burnett. <laughs> that sounds good. I know, yeah, no, no, straight off the cuff. So you guys heard about it. So that was pretty good for me. You know, <laughs> I made sure that everyone got knew about that one. You know, then, really you know, good. back those days, the car deals were a lot more easier to get. So Sting, Sting Line came over from Adelaide and there was a Monaro at the airport, I think, from memory. I can't remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> so it was sort of that, but, you know, making sure they had the right tax advice, um, I had people in banks, I had people in real estate um, and so it was just a bit of everything uh, back in the day. The AFL became become more um, focused uh, on player agents and what they do now on and off the field and there's more regulations around that. There probably wasn't a lot when I first started um, but if you, you know, you did step out of line, you did get clipped, you know, I got called to... 
I, mean, I think uh, Brendan Gale and Robbie Kerr were running AFLPA back then and um, they got me to fly over because I was taking a few parents to the footy and having a burger and a beer with them. So, so I think sort of like grooming? Well, of. just you know, getting to know each other, really. Yeah, but, but is that what the issue was? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But then I remember speaking to Gail at the time. I said, mate, you know that I think you got managed by Ricky Nixon. I think this story is true and correct. Uh, from memory, he goes, and he looked at Curry and he goes, yeah, I did. Why? I said, you know he's got a corporate suite. And he goes, oh, has he? Oh, game over. See you later. So back on the plane at home again. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's that? Because there are pretty strict regulations around that. Yeah, well, know? a couple of times there's a few companies sending out signed ponting bats and some boots and runners and bits and pieces. And signed ponting bats. <laughs> <laughs> the V100. Yeah, yeah. Well, mate, you know, no one did it better than Paul Connors, Bobby Sugars. He was the best. You know, he'd take Nico, Nick Nat to dinner with a few young kids and, and bang, you know. Yeah. Off, they, off they go. Yes. And Paul does it really well. So so there was a lot. Look, we all do think a bit different, but mainly is, the aim is to the end of the 10 to 12 years to stay in the game as long as possible, make sure you try and earn as much possible for your position you played, is to own your own properties, um, maybe have an investment property, own your cars, and either choose a job that you want to do, that you want to love for the rest of your life, or don't work at all. I don't think Reese Palmer's worked a day in his life. <laughs> I think every time I see him on Instagram, not that I'm on it much, he's always overseas doing something. <laughs> so that's the greatest contract of all time was Reese's one. So anyway. Well, I, I would say um, more broadly, you've got a – your reputation as a manager is um, you get the very best for your players and, and you're an elite contract negotiator. Would you agree with that reputation? I think, I think the experience – gone through, you know, all over that journey and then having battles, if you can call it a battle, against the best um, and learning and growing. And, you know, you, you analyse every every contract. Even 12 months later, you look at what you did at that last contract. And even three years ago when you did, say, Paul Meadows' contract, you look at what the negotiation was then and how he did it and what the loophole, then you go back and peel it back and peel it forward again. But the contracts, you know, having done it for so long and knowing the marketplace and what a ruckman, a tree ruckman's worth, you know, to move club, to stay at the club, you know, what's the price to do that? So the contracts can be a little bit difficult at times depending on who you're dealing with on the other side of the table. Um, but normally nine times out of the ten, if you, they know what you're doing and we know what you're doing, so let's get common ground and get it done what the player wants. So but that's the game and I know sometimes you get a lot of people unhappy the way you go about it, but normally we try and keep things under the table not let the media know what we're doing or anyone what we're doing. So we want to get through the contract process quietly and get it achieved and not go through the media as some people think we do, but I certainly don't. So it's more so the clubs where you spruik that. With um, being a, a known, you know, good contract negotiator, does that ever hurt you? Like, I know, so in the NBA, there's a, a guy, Danny Ainge, who's the current one of the GMs at uh, Utah Jazz, and players, uh, clubs don't like dealing with him because they always know they're going to get fleeced by him. Like, <laughs> they want to do trades, but they're like, all right, we know he's got something here. Like, I, I, we, you certainly don't go into a negotiation to fleece anyone because <laughs> in 12 months' time, you could be doing another contract for a player who might be just entering the system in two years. You do look for a really amicable result and you're obviously trying to get the best result for your player, but you do try and work with the clubs on their salary cap, what they're doing, what they're trying to achieve over a five-year period, whether it's to win a premiership, this is what they're doing, they're building at. So, but yeah, there's no doubt that some clubs will go, fuck, Cole, you know, blah, 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 <laughs> contracts. How's he going to stitch us over? I don't, I don't try and stitch us up. He goes, yeah. oh, but remember, you know, you might, my backhand might be better than your forehand. It's the same thing with trade period. Like you try and work together, you know, with clubs during trade period because 
never know what's going to happen in 12 months' time. You might be working for a club this yeah. time, you know, get a player back this way. So you always try and keep it honest and professional as much as you can along the journey and achieving a result for, you know, with Will and his family going forward because it's not about the now, it's about when they're retiring to make sure they're set up financially. And clubs are brutal as, you know, you've just seen recently cut, Zach Landy get cut with one year to go. You know, Zach had three, got an offer at the GWS to stay for two or three years and chose to come home from an offer, you know, to West Coast and it's a business thing that they've made a decision to move him on. Um, so it's always not just me. It's sometimes the clubs are making tough decisions. Um, but certainly, you know, the, you know, you do try and go in and get the best result for your players. But you know over the journey the averages don't normally aren't true anyway, but what your players are worth, whether it be Rover, halfback flanker. You know, many years ago, halfback flankers weren't paid much. Then JJ wins the, um, the, the Norm Smith <laughs> and now they're $500,000 a year. How time Backman started getting paid some money. <laughs> yeah, you do all the work. You know, I speak to Jeremy this morning. Backman always do all the work, mate. So oh, you're playing back and forward. Thank you. Cole understands. <laughs> Thank God. Griffin <laughs> Lowe doesn't agree with that, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. So how does... Like, how does a contract negotiation work? For people listening along that, that love AFL and they love their players and there is always a bit of a veil. Like you said, like some things do get into the media, but I would say the process of a contract negotiation between a player manager and a club, people don't know how it works. What do you do? Do you call them up? Do you email them? Do you go in person? Yeah. Well, it's basically all about timing. How long does it last? Yeah. Well, you try and look. If Will Schofield's flying off the half bank flank and he's he's in the top three in the best and fairest and he's got one year to go. Might be time hey, for mate, chat. Hey, mate, it might be time for chat. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly from our point of view, look, you want to sign him now because, you know, if he gets to the end of the year, he's got one year to go and I heard Hawthorne are after him. You know, so, you know. So it's all about timing. But this time of the year, being November, December, you're meeting with the players to talk about what happened last year. Generally, most of on holidays right now, but when they get back, you're out. Of, you're out of contract next year. You got two to go. We talk about the finances and the family and all that first, and then look. You got one year to go. Are you happy with the club? You're staying. We're all good. Move on. Sometimes you get a player this time of the year. Look, I played seven games last year. I'm just letting you know. If I don't play more than seven next year, I'm out. So straight away you're into trade mode. Okay. Write it down, this bloke, bang and bang. What clubs, I already know what clubs would take him straight away because I know what positions clubs are chasing through the trade period. Um, but at any stage, you can start negotiating contracts. It doesn't have to be at the end. Um, it can be halfway through your first year. If the guy's jumped up from there to there and there's goodwill, um, you can say, well, hey, mate, we signed him on that. He's jumped really quickly and it's in your best interest to sign him out long term and then you do it. So it's always trying to pick the moments. Um, but there's ne- never any given time. W- would so, you yeah. say when when a player is coming out of contract and and uh, you start seeing in the media the players, uh, oh, I'm going to play through this year and we're going to make some decisions at the end of the year, yeah. would you say that majority of the time that means that that player potentially is looking elsewhere? Oh, I, there's a fair chance. Yeah. Um, but I have had players that seriously were waiting but they weren't looking anywhere. And it wasn't until the end of the year they made their decision whether to stay or go. It's an individual thing. Yeah, you sort of get to – sometimes I've guessed, oh, they're definitely going in my own mind, and then, no, I'm staying. Well, okay, sure, no worries, we've got that in play. Um, But you do – you know, you see in the paper these days or the media go, oh, look, if he hasn't made a decision by now, he's definitely going. Well, you know, we had that with Griffin Lowe during this year and he definitely wasn't going till late, really late. He wanted to stay. Mm. Um, You know, Jerry McGovern, you know, when he was a free agent, you know, I think – Sticking, we talk about times and moments about when we did contract negotiations and I think Nick Nat went down with a serious injury yeah. and, of course, Jeremy was out of contract. So I thought not being, you know, Nick's down, we'd been talking about Jeremy to do something. 
look, uh, Nick might now reconstruct his contract, you know, push more out the back. Might be time to speak to the club about Jeremy. I think we did Jeremy in about two weeks that time. Hmm. So and he's a free agent this year too, I think. Mm. So sometimes when you hear, you know, just <laughs> oh, he was, he's working yeah. he's working here. He's already well. working. <laughs> <laughs> just, just going those lines. <laughs> um, so when you do hear, you know, weighing up options, that's not always a case. Like some players legitimately are weighing up because that seems like I don't want to make any con- um, commitments now because it sounds like they're out, but some players genuinely are just seriously waiting. Yeah, they are. Yeah. I, I, I would be, if I was, you know, a punter or, you know, a member, I'd be thinking the same thing, you know, surely you know by now. But you've got to weigh up, you know, it could be family, it could be a girlfriend, you know, it could be don't want to leave Perth because it's a fantastic place to live. It you know, could, this, be, could be money. It could be money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes... You know, the difference is staggering, you know, in a contract. Can, sometimes it can be double, you know. So someone's on three or four hundred and they go to eight over five years, sets them up for life. Mm. So, um, but you also got to make sure the club's the right club, that the coach is the right coach. You've got to make sure the DNA of your own player is going to fit the DNA of the club he's going to. Otherwise, as you know, we'll probably last about six months and go, what the F have I done? Yeah. I've got to get out of here. Yeah, what's um what's your relationship like with journalists and and well me- media people? I, I, I reckon guess. journalists would probably dislike me most of them because I don't really. I know there's a perceiveness that I do speak to some media and I and I don't. I generally don't. Sometimes you know I've got friends like Adrian Barrich, um, but he knows where to draw the line, and I know where to draw the line. But the, the, the journalists are like detectives, and they're probably a necessary evil to the industry, like managers used to be. But I there is like Cal Toomey, Damien Barrett. And you know, a couple over in Perth, they're like detectives. They'll just ring and ring and ring, and they'll go to a CEO and they'll go to an ex-player and they'll just call, and all of a sudden they'll get a result. And you, and it's true. And sometimes you think they go, "How did they find that out?" Mm. Especially this year, during, you know, during trade period this year, you know, we kept on seeing Andrew and I kept on seeing articles in the Western Australian, which this is Andrew McDougall. Uh, Andrew McDougall works with us, yeah, boss. yeah. And the article was like ninety-nine percent correct on what players were earning. So it had to come from Clubland, in our opinion, because we weren't talking. And players find out if we're talking about the contracts to the media, we'll find, mm. see you later, Cole. Yeah. So, yeah, we don't do that. But I, I generally have – I try and – I mean, going into the business a long time ago, and, and you know what clubs like, anti-media, don't tell them nothing, the walls were up, especially West Coast at that time, and they did a really good job at it. You know, well, I'm going to change it. I'm going to speak to the media and, and I'm going to try and work with them as much as I can but also keep my clients' information private and confidential and then – uh, an issue happened um, overseas and I remember a bloke calling me who I had trust in um, from the Sunday Times and the only time I've done an off-the-record chat, but don't do it because there's some health issues and all that, no, you got my word, and the next day back page was the article. Mm. And um, I, I rang him and he said, oh, but I had to run it. So from that time on, I've never done off-the-record ever, ever off-the-record with media. Um, I got asked that question during trade period, do you use, it, do you use the media? If, if at times you need to defend your own player, then you've got to use the media. Um, and now with social media and all these different platforms, there's so many rumours getting out about this trade's getting done for that reason and this guy's getting, you know, the manager's moving a player because it's more money for him, which is bullshit and blah, blah, blah. And you, So you sometimes got to put set the record straight. And, you know, this morning I saw some questions that were sent through to you. Some good ones, Cole. Outstanding questions, and I get it. And I heard those rumours um, uh, through trade period from, from family members who believe they're media instead of their person, you know, their own family member. Mm. Uh, even, I think, with, with 10 minutes ago, um, I think my wife said to my oldest, 
It's not getting done. I knew it was never going to get done. It's not getting done. All this time, 12 months, not getting done. This is your wife. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lucky that Logan didn't tell me until uh, about a week later, otherwise I would have been probably a little bit, you know, got home, I was fully exhausted anyway. But, yeah, well, look, there is there is some really good media, like there's some really good managers and there's some really bad ma- media and there's some really ordinary managers out there. So it's, you know. You, you, oh, sorry, you, you touched on um, – uh, media finding out how much players are getting paid. Mm. I know in the, in American sports, it's pretty much completely transparent. Yeah. You know what player contracts are, and there is a bit of talk around that whether the AFL should move to that. What's your take um, on on players? Hundred percent against it. Yeah, yeah. Because I well, just because of the pressure of the players. Like, um, you can see what happens if oh a player's got eight hundred by five and he's gone to so and so. Well, the, the media not worth it. Should be getting, you know, should take a pay cut. You know, the club made a mistake. The industry at the moment's not mature enough to do it, mm. and the pressure that is put on the players and the family. I know it's a professional business we work in, but I just don't think the industry is ready for that yet. In ten years' time, it might be different if they're earning a million dollars. The average wage is a million dollars. But I went to the NFL Combine, and I've met with you know nineteen NFL clubs. Uh, chief financial officers, recruiters, tr- trade people, and that question, because it's the norm over there and, and the members don't care about what some players are earning because it's what's the difference between 200 million and, you know, 180 million, you know, really, who cares? Yeah. But over here, if someone's earning a million dollars and someone's earning $150,000, there's a little bit of a difference and $150,000 a better player at them. There's just too much bullying within the industry when people start finding out what they think they're getting and the clubs, the media sometimes get it right and sometimes they get it wrong and when they get it wrong, it's normally big time wrong and the player normally take, pays a penalty for that, oh, you want too much money, getting paid overs, you're not good enough, you're just a backman. Mm. <laughs> right, heard that before. <laughs> it sounds like the industry is a relationship industry. Like, yes, there's sales, yes, there's sponsorship, oh. but you're, you're effectively managing relationships between player and club and club and agent and agent and the media and not that you're a middleman, but you're a ma- manager, right? You're a relationship manager, is it? Relationships is the key. Yeah. To being successful in this industry is having strong, honest relationships. And, you know, I've had some absolute doozy meetings, you know, with, you know, a couple of the high-profile CEOs, which scared the shit out of me at the time <laughs> and, uh, and probably still does. But... Uh, it's about relationship and doing trades. Like if you – sometimes even now with trade, you've got to pick the club. You know, we talked about DNA. Will, will the club get it done? You know, how they go about it. You know, look, if you're saying, you know, um, hypothetical Brad Hill, St Kilda, how are we going to get it done? What picks are you going to use? Because you don't want to go into a trade that's not going to get done. Yeah. You've got to make sure the other club it's the player's going to is going to reward the club that's losing the player. So it's relationships. And after you've had a relationships, and most of the guys who I worked with maybe 20 years ago who were list managers, some of them are CEOs. Yes. Some of them had a footy. Some of them work at the AFL. So when you have these 20-year relationships, relationship and you get experience with how these people work and they know operate, and sometimes, you know, Cole, you could have used a feather and used a freaking cannon. You know, I get that. <laughs> so I, since COVID, I've been very nice. You know, I just use the feather all the time. That's it. <laughs> get the same result. That's a true story. And, uh, uh, yeah, so it's, that is the key. It's just relationships. And sometimes, you know, they'll be a little bit burnt at times, but the good ones is that you can put the gloves on, I've said it many times, and then 
an hour later after Trey, you can go and have a beer. You know, it didn't work out that way. But, you know, next year, as I said to you, you know, I've taken about 15 players to Fremantle over the journey. I think I maybe had three trade out. Uh, but people only forget the three that's gone out, mm. you know, not the ones that I've bought in. But the relationship, like with David Walls, I'm going to free uh, to Melbourne in 10 days and I'm going to visit probably 17 clubs to talk about the draft. But most of, more so our list of players out next year, we have 20 players out of contract. Right. There's a fair chance that two, possibly three, will want to get traded. So we're already into that position. But you go to the, the clubs you trust that are going to keep their mouths quiet. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. You have strong relationships and trust. So uh, talking about your list of players, um, one, how many do you have at any given one time? And it's fair to say that you're West Australian skewed. I mean, you're based in Perth, you're based in West Australia, you've got a lot of West Coast guys, a lot of Freo guys, you've got West Australians that are interstate. Hmm. How does it go managing that full list of players and and then is there conflicts of interest that if you've got 10 blokes on one list or if you've got two blokes wanting to go from one to the other, if you've got a higher paid player and a lower paid player, like how do you – manage that full list. Yeah, when I first started, there was, you know, obviously the social media wasn't up and about and the market, the industry was a bit slower than it is now. So I would be repping about 50 players probably 15 years ago to myself and Andrew's come on board with me. We should probably do 25 players each at the moment. We probably stick to that. Um, Back in the day... um, I used to have a look at Melbourne players as well because um, if they were coming, I used to get a if, – if, if West Coast or Fremantle were talking, mainly more so West Coast back then were talking to players, you know, Matty Spanger, you know, Ben McKinlay or Robbie Warnock. Or, yeah. I, so I, I was in the market then and I found the market quite easy in Melbourne compared to WA um, to get involved in. And then the talent was coming through so strong with WA, I didn't feel the need to encroach over to Melbourne. And, you know, they've got some very good managers in Paul Connors and Marty Pask and, you know, some good agencies over there. And so they're, they're entrenched into Melbourne and some were entrenched here, but they've moved on to Melbourne. But we made a point, you know, that we, you know, if you, we're taking a player, Scoggins going to Gold Coast, we're going to be there every four weeks. We go through, we're very accountable. So at the end of the year, everything we do every month, Every six months, 12 months, we're accountable. Everything we wanted to achieve is accountable in the following year. So we move around a fair bit. There's no conflict whether you've got one player. At one stage, we had 16 players at um, Fremantle. We've probably got about nine now. one stage, we had 14 at West Coast. Probably got about eight or nine now. Two years' time, we might have 14 at West Coast and back again. It just It's like a cycle. Um, once we had about eight or ten players at Gold Coast, uh, we've got two now. So it just moves around all the time. Um, but there's no conflict whether you've got, you know, a type A player or you know, a C guy coming in with contracts or we're very rare that you've got two players, um, you know, they're playing in the midfield chasing the same dollar. Mm. And normally, you know, the midfielders, as you probably know, probably get paid between six and 800, the good ones. Um, so generally, unless they win a brown loan, it probably goes into the million dollar c- category. So they, there's usually enough money and midfielders get paid it all the time, you know. As we all know, they get all the money. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> So you, you, no got you got bloody something to answer for for that, Cole. Yeah, Seriously, yeah. let's not give us some money to the back, <laughs> which you do, I know. You looked after Gov. What about um, – I'll just throw like a, hypo- uh, yes. like a hypothetical at you. I don't know. Probably, I don't know. Um, so, for instance, like with um, Griff going to North Melbourne um, this off-season and uh, another player who was leaving North Melbourne, uh, Jason Hon Francis, to Port, hmm. if you were managing both of those guys and they were involved in the same deal, how do you make sure that – both players are being looked after while, you know, you really want to get Griff to North because that's where he wants to go, but you also need to look after the guy who's leaving. 
Yeah, well, you've, you've started 12 months out. With Griff, we didn't start 12 months because we, we actually thought we'd be recontracted by March and he wasn't. So different, you know, and Horn Francis came to the end, I believe. It wasn't till you know, maybe a month out that he decided that he might want to, you know, make a move. But they're different timeframes and it's not right. as if you spend 24 hours on one and you know that Griffin Logue's a free agent. I mean, not a free agent, he's out of contract and North Melbourne on the bottom of the ladder. So unfortunately, Fremantle had no cards to play. So that was a done deal no matter what. Although we did have a good relationship with Brady and we did look after Fremantle to make sure they got what they wanted to. But at the end of the day, and Fremantle knew it, they had to take these two good picks, but we knew that was getting done. You know, we did hear, look, I'm not obviously his agent, but I did hear rumours and, you know, innuendo during that Horn Francis did get a bit homesick and wanted to go home. So if that was true, then you're putting it in the play straight away. Mm-hmm. And if the different players... Uh, during that 12-month period, there's going to be different movement along the journey. You know, Horn Francis, two clubs, then it was one club, just Port Adelaide. Griffin Logue spoke to about nine clubs at, towards the end because we didn't realise what was going to happen. Mm. So I want to make sure that the right coach, the right club, the right DNA, and it all fitted pretty well. It's not, you know, we had five trades this year, Andrew and I, and we got five done, so it wasn't really hard. You know, last year, Bobby, Bobby and... Um, Roy didn't get done. They both got done this year, but we had 12 months to plan it. And the longer you have, the, the easier it is to do trade. Mm. Cole, um, I'll just take a little break from going into the industry mm. and sort of talk about your and I relationship. Um, I, I almost signed with you at one stage, yeah. but it goes back further than that. Yeah. You, you know my w- wife's in-laws very well, Patrick and Kim. Yeah, well, so what, <laughs> I just sort of found out pre this podcast of some messaging you maybe gave to Alex's father, Patrick. Do you want to just let our listeners know what you told him? Yeah, no, I'm happy to do that. But uh, <laughs> Players sometimes don't listen and sometimes parents don't like listen either. But basically Patrick was one of, you know, he was diehard West Coast and I know he used to sit behind the dugouts and he used to listen to players and when they came off and how they interacted with each other and, you know, swearing and good people, bad people and, um, and and Pat had a great relationship with Maney and a lot of the players because they all surfed and they loved the West, the West suit gear and all that and the West suits and all that. So I was down there once a month to have a chat to him if anything I could help him out with because if the players were happy, you know, that I'd be happy as when I worked the West Coast or as an agent. And then we're talking about his, you know, gorgeous daughter, Alex, and who's yep. a model at that time. And I said, whatever you – we're talking about players. Said, whatever you do, mate, Pat, do not let – her go out with any AFL players. <laughs> do not, do not do it. Trust me, I've got fifty eighteen year olds, mate. And do not do it. And uh, anyway, about I don't know six months later, um, I called up and he goes, "Oh, fuck." He was pretty shattered, wasn't he? When he because when he saw him, yeah, he called, yeah. Come on, mate. God, you believe this, mate? Uh, he's just seen a footballer. And I went, "Oh shit, really?" And normally you sort of hear you're like. The grapevine in the, tr- the lockers, or yeah. seeing so and so, or you know, Duke was seeing some model at some stage, or yeah. where it might be. And then, and um, Pat goes, Oh, it's Will Schofield. And I go, Oh, okay. Well, I, well, I haven't heard anything bad about Will Schofield, which is, <laughs> which is absolutely rare because you always hear something's going on with some players' life. It's almost okay. sus, then. Hey? That's almost sus. If you haven't heard anything bad, yeah, it's yeah. almost like I'm a good bloke, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I don't it, know. yeah, all those, it was all lies and innuendo what the papers wrote about him. See, <laughs> he's a good bloke, and yeah, no, it's worked out really well. So, you know, family yeah. and that, but I had to laugh because I was one thing I was saying at that stage, you know. You know, don't do it. Don't, don't, don't date footballers. And you know, she didn't for a while, apparently. So yeah, she told me the first time I met Alex, she said, "I don't date footballers." So she did listen to you. Carl. Oh, good. I good. just, I just. Well, she made the right move. I'm not persistent. listening. I'm persistent. <laughs> um, yeah, so I thought I'd just uh, take a little trip down memory lane there. Um, back to sort of uh, players you manage and you know, big moments. 2014, Matty Prittis wins a Brownlow. Um, what's that moment like? 
That is that was probably one of the best moments as an agent um, you could ever have, because he's missed what three or four drafts from memory. I remember the family telling me to give it up, you know, and I just loved him as we all love Matty Prittis, and why wouldn't you, you know, John Citizen, and you know, if you had a daughter, you would actually let him. Absolutely, would <laughs> so, be one up there. He, yeah. he was, um, you know, and we just, and every year I just watch him and I go, what is it, you know? And I remember uh, ringing James Fantasia from the Crows and. Um, I said, mate, can you do us a favour? I want John Griffin and I need John Griffin and Pritter. Can you get, give him some train on and, you know, and see how we go with them? So both the boys flew over. Uh, back then it was a lot easier to get players to train on. Anyway, um, Neil Cray was the coach then and he was a hard, he was a hard man, Neil, um, from outside looking in. Anyway, I watched them train for a week and um, I, went, I went up to Craig at the end of it and I said, how are you going? Didn't really want to talk to managers anyway back then and so... John Griffin, yeah, not bad, not bad. Yeah, he, yeah, I think he, there might be something there. And he, and he got rookie to, to yep. Adelaide. What about Matty Prittis? Oh, I don't think Matty's going to play footy, mate, in the AFL. Shit, okay, all right, no worries. Anyway, I think at the end, cutting a long story short, I think Woody picked out that he was probably a little bit solid, too big with a life-saving. Let's cut his weight back and he started to move a lot quicker, you know, across the ground. And then um, during the year, I don't know if anyone or Matty's told you this, you sort of, as an agent, um, when you've got a player that's possibly going to win the Brownlow, you get these forms from the AFL merchandise saying, your player's the chance to win the Brownlow. Really? I went, shit, okay, well, is that a good year? Anyway, so I rang the other managers to find out who else had the forms. <laughs> 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 anyway, they've told me who they've got and we're going, fuck, I think Matty's had a better year than all these guys. So anyway, so I rang Matty up and we've gone to a coffee shop in Subi. I said, Matty, I've got a funny feeling you're going to win the Brownlow. <laughs> he goes... What the fuck are you talking about, Cole? <laughs> you know, he's like, don't you be talking like, you know, you know he's like. Yeah, he's just the most modest man in the history of the world. Yeah, and he goes, that's fucking my heart. I go, well, mate, I'm telling you, I've done it. I reckon you're going to win it. So the story is funny is because obviously on the night uh, before, I was walking up the, the red carpet and Damien Barrett goes, oh, what are you doing, Cole? I said, oh, I'll come and see my player win the Brownlow. And he goes, who's that? And he goes, Matty Prittis. I said, Matty Prittis? He goes, Matty Prittis? Yeah. I said, okay, well, I think he's going to win the brown line. Anyway, um, spoke to Nizzy, spoke to Ross. Ross, they're going, I'll oh, calm down. He's not going to, da, da, da. They don't know anything. So I thought they might have known, but they said they didn't know. Anyway, when his name got called out, oh, I was just in tears. And um, um, I think I walked past Neil Cray and said something like, can't play. I can't remember. I walked past someone and said, <laughs> can't play. I can't, I can't remember what it was. But I went over the table with Nizzy and, and Roscoe and his name got cut out. You know, it was like, you know, just the greatest bloke in the world, deserves it. But he, funny, talking about afterwards, he, um, no, his, his missus, she said that um, after he had that meeting with you, Cole, he came home and he actually went through the games. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, so he thought, fuck, I'm having a chance here. So that was one of the greatest moments. Apart from your players winning premiership cups, you know, that's what they all play for, that's what I want to be a part of. You know, when Matty Spanger won his premiership with Hawthorne after three clubs, it was 53 games, and then seeing the picture with him and his family holding up the cup, you know, you do get emotional because you've gone through 10 years of, you know, not getting paid enough and living in a crappy place in Sydney and mm. going through some hard times with him. Um, they're, they're more so hard times than you, but then to see them win the cup, West Coast win the flag, you know, Fremantle get close with Chris Conley prelim. We actually thought West Coast and Fremantle might make it that year. Yeah. So to have that would have been just unbelievable to see the two Western Australian teams. So it's that premiership, that moment there. But Pritt is one of my, you know, he's the all-time favourites and that's one of my greatest uh, memories of all time. Yeah. I'm just going to adjust your mic a bit there, Carl. Um, the, um, no, it's all good. Um that that premiership stuff does it does it 
sit above a brown though. I know a brown though is a great individual accolade, but I think you'd speak to a lot of players that probably most to talk about that premiership. Yeah. Do you do you go to the grand final to see see your boys play it? Yeah, like, yeah. I've been to a few and like I've been to about twenty six, I mean spoiled, but <laughs> the first one obviously Damien Martin and I went along, um, the cricketer, not the basketballer, and um, the guys won. And you know, we're up in arms, you know, because West Coast, you're West Australian, and you've worked there, and you the players, you know, Quinny and, and Curry and yeah. Fletch and Stinger, and we had quite a few players out there uh, playing. And um, I remember going in the rooms, and you know, Jeppy let us in, and in the inner sanctum, and uh, Lynchy was on it straight away, and he sprayed me with champagne. And <laughs> as soon as I walked in the door, and I left Marto, then I, went, I remember walking around the corner, and I think Juddy, Cuz, and Curry were all against the wall. And they were just exhausted. And I went up, you know, gave Curry a kiss and a cuddle and you know, high five on Juddy and Cuzzy and just to remember looking at that, that moment, seeing them, huh. you know, Fletch and all the other boys and Stinger are all, you know, partying on and getting stuck into it. And, uh, but I only stayed about five minutes and hugged everyone and got out. Yeah. And then the next one, of course, my son Barrett for Collingwood and her guys. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and he, first time around he cried his eyes out. Second time, and funny enough, that's the one that was West Coast. Anyway, wow. I'm sort of between a rock and a hard place because I love the boys and Gav and all you always <laughs> get me in there. Should I go in there? I want to go in there and give them all a hug and, you know, and looking over at the sun, he's tear in the eye. you wearing Collingwood gear. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole family's like, I was going for West Coast, but, you know, it, Logs, you know, I don't know, Paul Meadows has got something to do with that and Quinny Lynch back for Collingwood. True. Um, yes. But, yes, and I got to the door and I looked at him and I went, I'll grab him on the way back. Let them in. And they, enjoy. they wouldn't have even known if I was in there or not. They would have been in euphoria. It's a shit show in no, eighteen. Yeah, it's a shit show. Yeah, that's all, that's what my memories were. Mm. Um, <clears throat> talking about specific players, um, just just as you've been talking, like we've actually had quite a lot. We had you know, Quinton Lynch on. We've had Nathan Broad as a player of yours. Yeah. It's Scotty Lyson a couple of weeks ago. Uh, who else? We've had we've had. I'm sure we've had more. Max Banger. Yeah. Uh, Spanger. Yeah. Was, Chad Fletcher. Fletcher. Yeah. So a lot of your boys. Um, uh, Scott Lysett specifically, we spoke about a story and he told um, it was quite funny, his perspective of it. And I don't know if you remember specifically, I know you've got a good memory. 20, 2018, win the flag. Um, we go to Hong Kong 10 oh. days after. So it's been <laughs> yeah. quite a big couple of weeks. <laughs> oh. And we're at a kangaroo court one of the days, about day two or three. Mm. And the boys have been um, singing the Port Adelaide theme song to Scotty throughout the, <laughs> throughout, throughout the trip, right? And as Scotty goes, great nature, loved it. He was singing along with it. He, he made his decision to go, right? But day three came about and I just remember Scotty in tears yeah. on the phone to you yeah. and telling you to ring Craig Vozzo on West Coast saying, I'm not going. Was that, a, was that serious? That's true, Yeah. That's one of the calls. Like when, when the boys are on, you know, away on holidays, and back then it was a bit different because it's now it's born regulated when they go away and all that. And when you get a phone call from players when you know they're away, it's always, you know, whether it's Uh-oh. Vegas, whether they're somewhere, you know, you go, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> and then, Scotty, what's up? Ring Boz. <laughs> Ring Boz. I'm not going. I'm not going. I, I love the boys, you know. Uh, 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 Nate, uh, we're basically the deal's done. <laughs> You know, they've already got someone coming in, I think. You know, your salary cap's gone out the door. I don't care. I don't care. I'm not going. Get it done. Put the phone down. Fuck, okay. Uh, So I've got to do my job. I've got to ring Voz. I said, Voz, you're not going to believe this. He started laughing. 
I said, I've got to ring him back, but I'm not going to ring him back today because he's in good spirits with the boys. And it's not that he didn't want to go to port. It's just that, he, you know, when you're away and you're loved up with your flag. mates. And want a flag. Yeah, you want a flag. You've gone to war with these, your mates. It's, it's, it's forever. Mm-hmm. So anyway, 48 hours, I'd sort of let it simmer. And um, didn't want to bring port because the deal was done. So uh, <laughs> How could you even do that? Hey? What, what could you even say to them? I'm sorry. No, well, if I have to do it, I have to do it. So, um, look, he's changed his mind. But it was basically done and West Coast were down the track and, and, and it had gone. So, you know, the salary cap had gone from memory. I think I think it was someone – it could be Vardy. I don't know who they got. They had someone coming in. And, uh, but I do remember that moment because I was on the balcony uh, where I lived down at Scarborough and uh, to get out, I don't let my family hear what I'm doing most times, so I've gone out in the balcony and, and had the conversation and I've looked up. And I'm like, <laughs> 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 uh, so anyway. That's awesome. But, yeah, that's a true story, Scotty, and uh, we do actually – I only caught up with him a week ago, but we do talk about those moments at time because, you know, he does sliding, have – Sliding doors, right? Sliding doors, and he has a love, you know, Jack and Yoa, yourself. Mm. He has some strong strong bonding. He's loved, he's loved Port Adelaide. And the funny thing is, and it's not probably funny, but you have players who've just won one, and as you believe you've just won one, you're going to win another one. And so to have a player move after they've won one, you know, Kel Sinclair's gone one. Yep. And I remember telling Kel that Sydney Swans, and he was, what? You know, mm. didn't want to go – that was 2015. Yes, Scotty, Scotty Clayton, Scotty Lysette, don't want to go. Mm. But it's very hard to back it up. And Port Adelaide have probably gone a little bit better than West Coast over the journey. And Sydney, unfortunately, for Kel didn't get there, but they've gone a bit better as well. Yeah. So it's always, oh, I don't I want to stick Joel Hamling. Um, when he, um, we had an agreement to go to Fremantle, Fremantle Sporters, we got him to Fremantle, Joel Hamling. Mm. Um, Paul's probably the only bloke in Australia barracking for um, Sydney Swans. Yeah. Because I knew that if the Bulldogs won, Joel would change his mind. Yeah. And I'd agreed, and he'd agreed to go to Freo. <laughs> so I'm sitting there going, oh, and I didn't go to this one. I, I came home early, and I was sitting on the couch. I've had one drink, <laughs> another drink. I go, oh, no. And then like, the Bulldogs have won. I go, oh, no. And anyway, 24 hours later, Joel rings me and goes, oh, probably going to stay. <laughs> so I go, okay, mate, let's give, it a, let's give it a few days. I actually did ring Freo and said, look, he's, he could stay. Um, but at the end, after a week and a half, for family reasons, he wanted to come home and it got done. But, yeah, it's always a scary moment when you've got to play is 1-1. Do you have um, – what about when, when they just have buyer's remorse a bit and do they have – does that happen often? Players calling and go, I'd like to um, I'd like to stay even if they haven't just won a premiership or even if they've just gotten there, do you have calls like, man, I've made a bad call? No, I haven't. I haven't at the moment. Um, not yet. Normally – when you, you know, we're talking just hypothetically, or not, we'll, we'll do it like Griffin like. So, okay, what are the five key areas? So first of all, got to be a, a type of coach that he liked and he gave me the DNA of what type of coach. Okay. Teammates, what's the culture at the clubs that we're talking about? What are their headquarters like? And there was five key areas. If you get those five key areas right, Normally nine times out of ten, the player's going to love the club. We've all, uh, well, I've seen it, but I'm not sure everyone else has, but Stan's documentary, Show Me the Money, you're involved mm. in season one. Um, season one, there was a whole bunch of rumoured stuff to be getting done and then it didn't really get done. Flip forward another year in season two and the last ten minutes of the trade period, the footage I've seen anyway, had you running around like a marathon man like Steve Montagetti between <laughs> rooms. Yeah. Um, the, the trade deadline stories, I think – some people think they're staged. Yeah. Uh, are they real? Like that yeah. last minute running around trying to get deals done? Well, I, I even during the journey when you're in the hub and you're there, you think, are these guys holding it up for, you know, for the media or the AFL? Or you actually do think that. Mm. Um, and last year's the show, Stan, we never really had much to deal with because 
you know, from memory, Rory got, you know, GWS asked Tuesday the first week. So it was kind of a struggle and you had a year to go and all that stuff, two years to go. And Bobby Hill, obviously GWS as well, had a year to go and they just lost a few players. So it was always going to be tough, but we had to still engage. If we didn't engage, we'd get sacked. Players asked us to engage in a trade. So we pushed every button. Unfortunately, the buttons didn't come off. Maybe if Bruce gone or someone gone, Bobby would have gone and then it would have opened up money to back for Robbie. But in the end, Bobby's now at St Kilda, uh, West uh, Collingwood, and he's extremely happy. Mm. And Rory's at the Bulldogs, and he's, he's extremely Fremantle are extremely happy. They've got Jackson, Jager and Corbett. So it's worked out really well. You were literally running though. What, what are you running yeah. to do? What are you doing? Well, unfortunately, because of all the renovations of Marvel, it was differently structured. So you had Adelaide at one end and the Bulldogs on West Coast at the other. And it's quite, and you had two or three media stations in the middle. And, and so you had to, when it got tight, and if there was a phone not working or whatever and the clubs weren't communicating or some managers worked hard and some sat in their backside. So I had to run from Brisbane Lions to the Bulldogs quite a few times to pass on the information to make sure. I think at one stage, and I, and I obviously haven't seen any of the footage yet, but I remember showing the phone, taking a picture of what Brisbane's offer was, which I thought was fine. So I ran down and I showed Sam and I think the TV was on it. And then I ran down again and ran down again. And then I remember going back in the last two minutes, it was like that slow motion film and Blair Hartley from the Richmond Tigers was leaving and he put his hand up to high five me because uh, <laughs> I was that close to getting done. And then I walked in and bang, done, whoosh. So yeah, it was not, absolutely wasn't staged because I, I have no intention of dragging any trade out. I'd like to get them all done first day. Yeah. Um, but, no, that was the real deal. And I, actually I'm looking forward to seeing that part of it because you do lose a lot when you're in it. Yes. Because you're pushing so many buttons and yeah. going to so many angles to try and get it done. You know, Miki's manager didn't move, I think, two feet from the Hawthorne door. <laughs> Mate, I rang back about 100 times. He's still there. I thought he was a statue. He wasn't going anywhere from that Hawthorne door. And to his credit, Miki's at Hawthorne. Yes. You know, so there was other managers in the hallway moving. And I said some weren't, some were. Um, it was quite an intense last five minutes and one that you probably wouldn't want to go through all the time, that's for sure. Um, I want to ask some bigger picture questions or some views given that you're standing between it all. Um, uh, the, the bigger one from a player's and manager's point of view that, that I'd love to hear your opinion on is um, the, I guess, where, where does the um, responsibility lie um, for player welfare? Not player, not, 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 um, not performance, not not contracts. I think they're pretty clear who's but, – but player welfare, not only at the club but away from the footy club, there's a lot of play, There's a lot of parties at, at play. There's yeah. the AFL, there's clubs, hmm. there's player agents, there's the AFLPA, yep. there's the players themselves. Yep. Where, Parents, parent, girlfriends, where, wives. Where, where do you think the responsibility lies to make sure that players are not necessarily happy but – looked after both at the club, away from the field, and then life after footy. Ex-schoolmates ex as well. Yeah. You know, that one player, their, their best mate enters the AFL system and now has a regiment from day to day, hour to hour, and they don't. Mm. So there's a lot, and it has changed over the journey where, um, as I said to you before, all all the key areas you just spoke about have all got better. Um, and even entering into the system now, the club's – Q&A on their interviews with the players coming into the industry, with Sykes. So there's a lot of work done before you get picked up to find out where you whether you could be trade, um, taken interstate, whether you wouldn't wouldn't work if you did go, homesickness and all that. But you work as hard as you can with the player and the parents 
for as long as you can. Um, trying to make sure that, you know, everyone's on the same track, you know, savings and cars and home loans and off-field, you know, drinking and, you know, partying and not doing that in the right time. And you're, you're always trying to take them to the well. Sometimes 90% your players will listen and they will listen to the club or they will listen to the AFL, the AFLPA or whoever it might be uh, working with them, the PDMs at the club or the AFLPA delegates. There's a lot there to work with. Um, some are more uh, experienced in some areas legally and, you know, the Indigenous world we're working to a lot more now. Um, so you try and use all those angles to help your player. But fortunate enough, as I said before, now that the players are coming in, they're probably more well-educated and, you know, in 16 years they're starting to think about being an AFL player professionally with their diet, their training, they get mentors that are played in the system, all that. So it's a lot more easier now than it was back then when you were there and um, there probably wasn't the support, you know, everywhere that we just spoke about. Um, and you just had to be lucky that you got a player that signed that was John Citizen and not, you know, the person that's going to cause you a bit of grief over the journey. The one thing that I don't think has changed is transitioning out of the game's hard though, especially yeah. for guys that have been in there longer. You know, yeah. guys that are in there for three years, it probably could just jump back into regular life and pick something up. But guys that are in there from 8, 10, 12, 14 years, yeah. it's still a bloody hard transition out. How, how do you help and do, do you think more can be done? Where, where it is? Like at the moment, so you say if, you know, Bellas or Sandy or, you know, Fletch rang me, I'd pick up the phone if I, was in, if I wasn't in a meeting and what can I do to help? But most of them are pretty well structured in what they're doing right now. Um. If it, look, Nathan Van Burlo, you know, captain of the Crows, probably won a pretty good example. Rocket scientist, probably 110 in his schooling and education. And even through his whole process when we go and meet with him in Adelaide, what do you want to do, even though he might be in his third year, if you thought about, you know, you're going to be a geoscientist, you know, fucking or all that. He's just a genius. Uh, it was embarrassing meeting with him. He just blew me away. <laughs> we just talked about off-field stuff. But... Over that period, he, he might have owned a hotel, you know, with, with Rue and he might have done some, you know, duplexes and he's tried a lot of different things over that journey and you're always meeting with your player, what are you doing, what's your thoughts to you, you're going to go and develop, you know, I think, you know, if Jack decides to finish footy in five years, he'd be good at development footy, Jack Darling, so he's sort of got that thought process, he might change his mind. But VB even, with as smart as he is, didn't quite know even when he was rushed to retire and I said, you know, you'd be pretty good in, in coaching and he goes, no, I don't want to do that. And then 12 months later, I think it's private school asking the coach. And then so I think I rang Adelaide, he became a development coach. And then he's assistant at West, at West Coast. And now he's senior midfield coach at the Crows. Mm. And he didn't know till after he had that break. Do you think that's common with players that they don't actually know because they're, they're focusing on a career? That, that, no, that, it is. That's, that's what I, when I get asked about mm. it, uh, my, my explanation is it's an elite environment. You, you're the best in the country at something, right? Mm. And if you take football away from it and you turn it into journalism or you take, turn it into medicine or legal or accounting or whatever it is, if you're the best in the country at it, it takes a lot of time to be good at it and to mm. concentrate and to apply yourself. And so I put that to footy that, yes, it's banged into us by everyone, all those things that I mentioned mm. that life after footy matters. But to actually make a go of your career, you need to put a lot of focus into that. Do you think that that happens regularly? But that would be my opinion. I, I, I would, look, I do stay in touch with some of the 
high-profile management companies in Melbourne, and they do they're they're right on top of that. And sometimes they get said your players don't know. Like, well, if I if ten years ago you told me you and I were sitting here today, I'd go, "There's no way." Yeah, mate, Correct. mate. And when you came into the office about two months ago to talk about the draft or trade, mm. mate, I was really impressed with the conversation, and because you know you were actually. Like your journalist, like you're, yeah. Well, we just talked about journalists before. I'm like, I'm, I hope, I hope the cold on the. No, 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 no. I love what you did because you actually asked a good question. Back in the day, I used the word called ask hole, a s k h o l e. It's a journalist who'll ring you up. You tell him the truth, and you just write bullshit the next day. So I go, you're not going to be another ask hole. I, th- I thought it was, a, I thought it was a new social media ask, ask hole. <laughs> no, I'm not doing social media, but um, yeah. So you know, you've like, I think long career in what you're doing as well, but you, you could have been a player agent at some stage and you could have been good at that as well because of what you've done, mm. you know, come across in Melbourne, uh, homesickness if not or have, you know, build up what you've done now, um, played on the halfback, dropped a few times, premiership, all these spoon, keys, or, or wooden, spoon, all that. Premiership. It's just a great experience for you to pass on the guys coming through. Mm. So that could have been an area too, but you sort of get an idea of what your players' DNA, you know, Hayden Ballantyne, Horses, you know, uh, Sandalands bought a company in, you know, uh, commercial. Oh, mowing lawns, isn't he, Sandy? <laughs> <laughs> Sandy's under, underselling what he's doing, but yeah, he's mowing lawns, right? Yeah, he's got, he's got the um, uh, commercial, you know, and the and the uh, private. and So everyone's sort of, you try and find that what they're sort of leaning to in your also doing a coaching, you know, look at Lekka. We got him on Channel 9, you know, to do the two-minute cross about the fishing and, and all that and now he's always strength was the fishing and, you know, off that. You sort of get an idea what they're at um, and there you, you can pick up the phone to help them and ring up Channel 9 or ring up Channel 7 or go to SEN in Melbourne and meet with Hutchie or, mm. you know, if there's an – at all stages it can change within, you know, a week, oh, I was going to do that but now I'm going to do this. Yes. Everyone wanted to own, you know, own a hotel 10 years ago. Everyone wanted to own a bar. You know, it sort of changes. Um, COVID put a pin in a few people. Yeah. <laughs> Hopes and dreams in front COVID of put a pin in everyone. But, yeah, so we, we, you are monitoring it all the time. Um, but just the – they seem to be more educated now and I hope that will continue on. So it's a lot easier from – you know, it's the ones that get cut earlier that's, you know, you, you expect them to be – keep on going and out of the blue the club's finished on the bottom and they're really looking at their list and they cut a bloke probably two years before they should have mm. and the industry is so tough now and brutal with numbers that they don't get an opportunity to go to another club, you know, and, and finish their career the way they should have and, you know, they've, they've, they've had to go and done something, you know, different than they thought they would have. Yeah. Um, what about uh, – as a, there are heaps of player managers in the AFL. Like it sounds like there's, it's a smaller group of people. But if you're seeing a player that's sort of not happy and um, you're like, man, that they are, their career is being butchered by the manager, do you ever give them a call and say, hey, you should consider? No, well, on? even like if we go back to Will, because um, he was good friends with Maddie Spanger, Will wasn't sure whether he was, you know, with the right company at the time. So Spangs told me. So I just said, well, if Will ever wants to consider. Just let him know I'd love to catch up with him. Um, you know, there's players that have – and I can't be, you know, throwing stones at anyone because obviously I've had a lot of players join me and I've probably had a couple that have stayed in Melbourne and gone with another company, uh, which I understand. But it's normally um, another player goes, oh, look, by the way, I'm just letting you know he's unhappy with his manager for these reasons. Do you want to have a chat to him? I go, mate, I'd love to have a chat to him. Um, just let me know when it's the right time and place and we'll have a chat. And whether it's the contract or whether it's the servicing or whether, you know, you obviously will ask him the reasons why he wants to change management. And if it's legitimate, then you're all in. Hmm. So, you know, it's not. It's probably – it's hard to ring up, you know, another manager and go, oh, look, by the way, Jack Smith's coming on board. 
Um, you know, we had, I think we had two in my journey that have, have gone across the other side and I understood why the reasons they were going, so it was done professionally. So, but I can't, you know, Sonny Walters, Brad Hill, Stephen Hill, you know, back in the day, Sandy and the Longmuirs and Nethurst, they're all with other companies. So um, sometimes we do it a bit differently and they like the way we do it and sometimes they might see another avenue over there that we aren't doing. So. Um, given your uh, wide sort of knowledge of the footy landscape, if, <clears throat> if we come centrally and, and current current list to Western Australia here, how do you how do you see the future prospects for West Coast and Freo at the moment? They're probably in different um, stages of lists, but what's your view uh, on the senior lists? Yeah. Um, and, and, and and what it means for the clubs. Like, what do you think? Well, uh, when, you, when you're sort of looking at – look, we analyse – I analyse the list. Like, after the draft's over, you analyse every club, what they traded in and what they've drafted in. And then you do the age demographic, games played, positions. You can clearly work out that a club's coming to the end of their five-year premiership or they're going to rebuild like Geelong and Richmond and just keep tinkering at it and keep on winning them like Sydney. They're unbelievably good at what they do. So with West Coast – you know, I'd love to be fucking the list manager right now because I think people doom and gloom. Mate, you've got Elliot Yo, star, Jeremy McGovern, star. Mate, all these stars in this team that play premierships, Gaffey, star. And they got a lot of shit thrown on them this year about them being overweight and that I watched them train during COVID and they were banged up. They were – that was the worst I've ever seen any club and I'm not making excuses and the worst I've ever seen in an AFL was the West Coast this year with COVID and banged up players mm. – and could, Yowie is a competitive beast. He's not going to go out there and not want to try or be fit. Mm. It's just a disgrace what some of the guys threw at him. But their list is generally pretty good. And then this is no disrespect to the players that have, I've got that have gone to another club or out of another club. But if you look at the Western Australians that are around, you can build pretty quick. Let's just say Josh Kennedy goes out. You go after Darcy Cameron and he provides that run and block for Oscar Allen, Jack Darling to come over the thumb. Do you get Griffin Lowe from Freo? Mm. You know, you, you, you start looking at what players you can piece together, Nathan Wilson off the halfback flank or Sam Powell Pepper into the middle because he's, he's a bull yeah. and he's young and he sits. West Coast could rebuild pretty quickly. I'm not too sure what they're doing. It's none of my business. I know they're going to the draft this year with their first four picks. But as a, I'm probably more like excited about a list manager, what you can do with clubs. Um, Wolsey, Bally, Justin, they've done a magnificent job at Frio. Um, they jump really quick. Really quick. No one thought they were going to make the eight. Their players have all jumped up. Their picks are really good. Chappie and Johnson coming through, young, all good players. They've only got a tinker now, and then their list is pretty good. Um, the Luke Jackson. Luke Jackson. Well, you know, they, everyone was a bit upset that Roy left, but Luke Jackson's got 10, 15 years in him, and he's the future of the club. That's a great get. So they're look. I don't know how they'll go next year immediately, but over the next three or four years, they're going to become a powerful club. So your list is pretty strong. You know, you don't know. You know, there might be one or two positions that open up during the year through injury. But Fremantle are well on the track. I think West Coast could rebuild really quick. I know they want to go to the draft, and media and members are saying go to the draft. But you've never, I've never seen a, a club go to the draft and win a premiership without adding on a few free agents or a few players coming in. Yeah, it's always a mixed bag, right? A mixed bag. So the National Draft is coming up. I'd say when this episode airs, it'll be coming up very, very shortly. West Coast, as you said, have got a strong hand. They've got picks 8, 12, 20, 26. That's their four, first four. Frio with the Jackson acquisition, they've got 30 and 44. Um, they're probably not going to be as strong in the draft. Um, draft day is a big day for Agents, you'd have young kids. Well, normally um, it's massive and the last couple of years that's sort of left Andrew's, that's his domain. Yeah. And um, I've been working with a lot of, I've had a lot of off-field 
items I've been dealing with. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> Andrew's picked up the ball and run with it and he's got probably three or four possibilities. But normally we'll go in um, four or five days before the draft and meet with the clubs. We've done a whole lot of work, especially Andrew all year, ringing the clubs, ringing about his players. And it's not um, – there's probably going to be 51, 55 picks. So if you put that into the equation – there's a, probably, what, three or 4,000 are going to nominate. There's yeah. a lot of players going to be unhappy. And we're here in Western Australia, maybe six to ten, you know, coming out of here. So there's going to be a lot of unhappy young men. But we try and find out where our players sit, whether it's a rookie, um, whether they're going to get drafted, whether it's next season or mid-season draft. Um, but Andrew will be mainly doing that. I'm going to go to Melbourne on the 25th to have a ch- chat more about um, the mature age, you know, Ben Edwards, the Bailey Rogers, um, Zach Langdon, uh, Joel Weston, some doing more, more mature age. Is there a chance what mature age will go? And if they are, it might be like um, Collingwood's list is outstanding. When you start analysing their list, do they need another young kid or do they get a Bailey Rogers or a Ben Edwards off the off the rookie list? Mm-hmm. You know, Zach Langdon, you know, he'd be fantastic as a rookie um, for a club that needs to make the eight, you know, and they've lost maybe like a hypothetically a Gold Coast who lost Rankin and you get a bloke who that's played in finals. He's played in finals. Yeah. You know, he's been around GWS and a great club like West Coast, so he's a great – so that's sort of mainly the area I'm doing. And then after the draft, what a manager does is, like I said, Andrew and I'll sit down and analyse every club, look at our 20 players, and there'll be 15 that are happy and they've got – you know, want to be re-signed as quick as they can, and there might be that three or four that you think they might ask, so you start strategically planning for next year. Hmm. The, the West Australian element, um, and given West Coast early draft picks, do you think uh, we'll see some local – picks to, to the West Australian sides? And, and do you think that's a smart move to, to draft locally? Um, if, if the player's the best player at that pick, definitely. Definitely. Um, I'm, I'm hearing that Reuben Gibney probably be the first player out um, for, for West, from Western Australia. And there'll probably be, be three players from Western Australia. And this is just me hearing industry gossip or chatter. chatter. So Reuben... Uh, ben Allen's son, and then the kid from um, East Perth. I've got his name now. Gosh, I've forgot his name, but anyway. The Intercept Defender? Yeah. Uh, it's a great name. Yeah, and it I, is. That's uh, why it's got me. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so they're probably the first three that I think yes. will come out from WA. But the, the talent in Victoria is unbelievable. I know we always say Victoria, Victoria, and they get so much. But I haven't got my stats here of the draft. They get 50% or 60%, whatever. But I remember walking into uh, Sandringham's Oval, two years ago, just before COVID, and there was Vic Country, Vic Metro, and I thought they were 19-year-olds. And I turned to some other manager and said, fuck, what are these? who are these guys? And they were 16. <laughs> really? and, I, and I just wrote down 30 players straight away. And then so I want him hearing this year 51-55, and I'm hearing, and what we saw during trade period, everyone was getting picks for next year. Next year's apparently going to be the super draft. Really? Yep. Yeah. You're going to be pretty simple. Marcus Ashcroft's son will go number one. Brisbane Lions, they've got two father sons. When you analyse it, when you're talking to parents and they actually understand that they think, so like my son, there's 18 clubs that might look at your son. There's not. You know, someone's going to go for a ruck. Someone's going to go, Gold Coast, uh, Adelaide have one pick. I think it's 46. Is it the father son? Brisbane have three picks, two father sons. It's one pick. When you start analysing it, there's not a lot of picks. Mm. So where does, you know, Richmond have two picks? So you think people are loading up for next year? Next year's is the super draft. Mm. Jed Bustling. Bustling. That's the one. It's a great name. Yeah, they're, great the, name. they're the three I think we have from WA. Yes. What? So you're saying um, you would take talent over um, best available local. over local. Yeah, best available yeah. over local. If you if you've got if you've got um, 
you know, like I remember um, uh, if you've got the club set up so well and you've got all the dots aligned, a player shouldn't really want to leave. Hmm. If everything's put in place, family, everything's put in place, and these days you can go home on breaks and all that. Um, and if, if they do, like Horn will say, be it. You know, North will come out okay of this hmm. with their picks they've got. And Port, you know, they've done too. But I would, I would if, if a WA player is there, I'd definitely take a WA player. If there's a player from Victoria or anywhere else who's better than that, I'm taking them straight away. Yep. I remember um, back in uh, the days when Nick Nat um, yep. went. Jack Watts. Jack Watts. And no one knew Jack Watts. And I think he was PSA. And Paul Connors, he's a gun, had both Nick Nat and Watts. Did he? He did. And I remember Chris Conley because I managed Chris Conley and uh, he was at Melbourne at the time. He was talking about Jack Watts. And I said, mate, I, I, I've never heard of Jack Watts. And that's not being rude or anything. No. I just because I'm from WA. He played, he played Brighton. He's Brighton. Brighton. Yeah, you probably know more yeah. about him. And then yeah. as the draft got come in, his name kept on popping up everywhere. And Paul Connors did a great job. Melbourne and Nick Nat didn't want to go across the border, want to stay home. But if I'm a recruiter in Melbourne, I'm taking the, the gamble. I'm yes. taking Nick Nat 100%. You know what? Fiji's a lot closer than Perth. <laughs> I'm taking it. He'll be an icon in W in Victoria. He'll be big. I'm taking the gamble. Yeah. You know, I don't care what you say, Paul. Jack Watts, great and all that, but Nick Nat is the future. Yes. And I take the gamble. So in the end of the day, you put your balls on the line. If you're a list manager, mate, I'm going to give you a flag in five years. If I don't, you just sack me. <laughs> you know, that's what I, how I work it. You yes. know, and if Clay wants to – if will you come into my office and you go, hey, Cole, mate, I'm not really happy – I want to get traded. I'm going, okay, if I can't turn you around or help your situation, mate, okay, I've heard you. Let us know where you want to go. We'll try and facilitate it for the best for the club yes. and we'll try and help you out. Yes. That's the way you should do it. Now, Cole, you've been very generous with your time, mate. Um, we are moving to the very back end of the podcast and it's probably the most special. I'm sure you know all about it. This is social media, Can Cole. I just ask one more question before social? I know we need – it's time. I just – so the, the trading, the, the one thing that irks me the most about the AFL trade system is players nominating clubs. Yep. So I can't think of many um, sports in the world where that gets to happen where you're like, mm. I'm going to Port Adelaide, for instance, and then Port Adelaide, uh, sorry, let's say where West Coast player wants to go to Port, they are absolutely handcuffed. They have to de- deal him to Port and they can't get the best in return. Whereas like in the NBA... I want to get, they want to get traded. All right. I'm going to get the best possible deal for you. I don't care where you're going. Like we'll, we'll try to help you if we can. No, but I, I, I hear you and I, I, I read it and I hear the members saying it as well. <laughs> and it's a good question because during this trade period, I think David Wall said on radio that, you know, if Rory wants to go to Melbourne, there's more than one club. Yeah. Which 100% agree with that. But as an agent, I've actually went through the other nine clubs and had conversations with clubs that only were looking for a forward ruck. So there isn't nine other clubs. Yeah. There was probably one. And that club wasn't in a position to trade for Rory Lobb. So at the end of the day, Rory made a preference of the Bulldogs. But if there was another club and he had to go, he might have looked at it. But he did have his heart set on the club with Luke. But I do understand what you're saying. Mm. But normally a good agent's done all that homework and there's no, you know, if say for West Coast Fremantle, I think you will see in the show, um, if they go that far back at round 10 or 12, I said that Jackson's going to Freo. I think I said, mate, it's the industry knows yes. uh, that he's going to Freo. Yes. Um, there's two teams, but 
is going to Fremantle because they're closer to win a premiership probably in his eyes and he might have more teammates down there. And West Coast probably aren't in that position right now um, with their salary cap and, and they want to keep their four picks. So to me it was a no-brainer it was going to Frio. Um, and obviously, as I said, they are coming off. I think their cap restraints come off soon. Um, but, yeah, I understand what you're saying and you can't pick and choose. But sometimes when you've done all the work, there is other, no, there's no other club. Yeah, so sometimes when it says, like, player X has nominated this team, like, you already know that that's the only team available. So they're not necessarily just saying, I'm only going to that team, but there's already work behind the scenes that, that, that that's going to happen. Yeah, no, I, I remember, I think I had a text Dave or, or I rang him and said, look, if there's another club that you know about, let us know because it gets down to the pointy end, although we were committed to going with the Bulldogs, but you've got to keep everything, you know, at the end of the day, it got done. But I understand, and but I have done, I knew, like it wasn't two clubs going for Rory Lobb. There wasn't a club that hit the media, which they normally do, I will take Rory Lobb. Not one club during the trade period came up and said, we want Rory Lobb mm, besides the Bulldogs. That's interesting. See that? And normally there is another club. Yes. The other club, if he doesn't get done, and sometimes they're stirring the pot. Yes. Um, but you sort of read... You read the media sometimes because they get it right sometimes, and during trade period, they get bloody good mail. You fucking done? Yeah. <laughs> fucking cut I could, social I could, media. I could, I could off. Yeah. Fucking hell. Social media. Dan rudely fucking interrupting. <laughs> we are here. It is time for it. This is where the people get to ask you the questions. You've heard enough from Dan and I, Cole. Yep. Been peppered with questions. Yep. These are from the people. Yep. All right. Social media yep. for the people. Let's get into it. Um, we'll have to do a bit of a rapid fire sort of answer yep. here, yeah. Cole, because we are. You've, you've spent us time. plenty. Yeah, correct. Mm. But that's all right. We can go however long we like. But okay. I think some rapid fire stuff here. Shane Haddo. Do you think that AFL players are compensated fairly when you compare it to American sports and their percentage split of revenues? That's a deep question. Uh, simple, no. So and I think there's a negotiation with the CBA now. I think it should be more. Like why? why? It's probably what, around. Oh, the gate. You know, the media rights are going through the roof. Right. An AFL official told me about six months ago that the rights are going to be massive. Mm. So, so the players should be compensated I think appropriately. Because so. they are the product. There's no me. There's no anyone without the players. Mate, they should be put on a pedestal and looked after really well. Mm. So and there's no players, there's no clubs, and that's vice versa, I guess. But I think there's an opportunity there to, to, to look after the players. And when, the, when they comes out with a salary cap, they go, oh, look, it's gone up 20%. Well, 38 players don't get 20%. Mm. No one at West Coast gets anything, but, you know, <laughs> as they keep that cap themselves, but, which is good for them. But, you know, you usually get the, the top five players get most of that money. And the bottom players get zero. Yes. So there's a lot of politics to be played out in that one. A touch mm. of underscore frost. Uh, are there any trades or mistrades that you regret or keep you up at night? Going into trade period, you don't sleep a lot because you're trying to, your sort of brain's ticking over like a computer. What if they do this? What if they do that? And you sort of write it all down and you think you're going into trade period knowing everything, being a know it all. This is what's going to happen then. This is what's going to happen then. Uh, a couple of nights before, you probably don't sleep as well as you normally do. I think I think you'll want a bit of a writer reply on this, and this is there's a couple of questions around this, but this I think Geordie Barrett underscore. Uh, why do you think you can hold Fremantle Football Club to ransom every year come trade time? Oh, I know, I know, I copped a bit of this shit during well, trade no, period. Here it is. No, no, you, you I, mate, I, it might look that way, and, I, and I'm sorry that it does look that way. But I, mate, I remember talking. I wanted to want Fremantle win a premiership. I really wanted Fremantle, Bellas and Sandys, and all the players I've asked, Sonny Walters, and every player. I really wanted them to win a premiership. And I still do, and I'm sure they will in the next five years. I don't 
wake up in the morning and go, hey, Rory Lobb, can I trade you? <laughs> Griffin Logue, hey, mate, I've got nothing to do this year. Can I trade you? <laughs> mate, I have a passion for a free man that might look that way, but I get told what to do at the end of the day after lengthy discussions. I don't hold, hold them over a barrel. I've brought my, way more players in than the few that have gone out, and the ones that have gone out are mainly, apart from Griff, for family reasons. Mm. Like so it. it's, it's, not, it's absolutely falsity. Boxall 450. Uh, does a private school education increase a person's chances of playing professional sport? Now, before you answer, Adam Simpson gave an answer around this this year and with context, with full context, I don't think he was saying if you don't get a private school education, we can't draft you, but he was speaking about the cut in, in yeah. f- footy cap and spend. I think he regrets that. Yeah. I think the way it came out because my son rang me up and goes, Dad, I'm at JTC, should I go to go down to Scotch and get to... Oh, I don't think that's how no, you know, no. I meant it. But I think in Melbourne, you know, look, from what I'm hearing, the, the private schools over there are extremely, and Sky might more than me, that you hear that they're so professional about their footy and their coaching and their analyte analysation of the games and all that. And I remember having a meeting with Scotch probably five years ago when Bailey Banford was getting drafted or just got drafted and they asked me what I thought they could do to get players drafted from – and I said, start videotaping, recording all the games as much as you could on all the angles. In the end now it's getting done anyway. Mm. So we could get the vision out. But I wasn't – I don't think so. Will Powell didn't even make the state and got drafted, pick nine in the Gold Coast. If you're a really good player, it doesn't matter where you are. Eagle Nation, double underscore. How early are you? Uh, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. How early are you looking at potential draftees to represent them? Um, is it under 16s or earlier? Um, and do parents or waffle clubs approach you, or scouts from various AFL clubs, etc.? Um, sometimes parents, from word of mouth, or see me at the games. I'm very fortunate. I've had three boys that are now um, 18, 20, and 22. So I've gone through from you know I was kick all the way through, and that's when I've seen a lot of talent watching my sons play. Mm. So I've kept an eye on players all the way through. <laughs> Those three players, and now my sons are in Melbourne now playing footy. Um, but I still go to a lot of games and watch you know from 14s to 16s. There's rules and regulations when you can start talking to them, and they do change from time to time. Time and when you can sign them. So I think you have to sign them, um, you have to be 18 in that draft year, et cetera, et cetera. But I watch talent. I watch a lot of footy. I watched every single AFL game for 20 years. That's about. I watched Colts game. I watched. I watched a senior game. You just watch as much football as you can. And the trouble is, sometimes we're talking about Victoria. You don't know what's on the other side. Mm. That's why I've got to get over to Victoria more now. I want to, I'm going to watch three or four games this year early on to see what the Western Australians are up against come draft trade. And when you're analysing, sometimes the trade period, a draft period, you use the, the combine and the state testings and who, where they're where, where they're all at. This is a midfielder in Victoria. He runs a you know two six. Uh, beep uh, 20 metres and he's running a, a 5.52k. We're running 6.20s over here. <laughs> they're, they're running sub 5.20s and a 5.40. They're running an 1,800 metre track or what's yeah, going on? Yeah, they're <laughs> unbelievable. So you know, I just it's just a wide range of you know vision. Sometimes parents will send me vision or a club will go, what do you think? But it's rare. Mm. Um, Dijan Mystic. Okay. Uh, what is the most ridiculous request or clause a player has insisted on in negotiations and how did it go? And obviously you don't have to name names. No, no. Well, that's a simple one because there, there hasn't been any. I said the, the, re, the, the most, which I don't know what Sky thinks about, the, the, it's, when it's all done and settled, it's the jumping number. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, look, I've got 23 or pick six or pick two or, you know. Because uh, in the actual contract, it's pretty templated, right? I mean, yeah. there's, not, there's not like, oh, well, 
every goal I kick, I get a car. Or you know, there's nothing. I think like, there's something you know, with back in the day. If I kick fifty goals, you know, you might get a certain bonus. But then, if he does kick sixty goals, and people hear about it, he's a bit hungry, and you know, not fucking giving it yeah. to him. Or you know, True. you know. So there's none, none that I know of that has been oh, that I've been asked that question. Um, yeah. Basically, sometimes they get age of mind if you ring the club and get the jump on I was chasing. So I get it. Marty Mud, Crab Six, and this is a bit of a combination of everyone because I think people who will listen to this might not have been able to make it at the elite level, mm. but they look at um, agents and, and managers and being involved in the industry. Yeah. What is an agency looking for when someone is trying to become a sports agent? Probably the wrong person to ask. <laughs> it's um, I know it sounds strange, but it's such a an area – um, like what I do every day or Andrew does every day, we couldn't have anyone sitting there listening to what we do. It's so private and confidential, you know, the family, you know, all the things that go on with its finances. You really can't teach anyone how to become an agent. You can give them guidelines on what to do. Um, you know, sometimes you might get an apprentice, you know, and we might get someone on in the next two years to come under Andrew to start working. Um, but I've, I, I went through Clubland and you know, having worked in marketing and sales and I did some financial advising when I was younger and all that sort of stuff, but it all worked out really well. But, you know, working with a waffle club to start with and trying to get into an AFL club, even if it's in marketing and doing it for free as a work experience, just getting in there and because the difference is if I'm going to see Scoey and try and sign him to Colin Young and corporate sports and Dukes, what is the benefit by going with us than going with Paul Connors mm. or, or someone else? So we like to keep those things to ourselves, and sometimes – we get players assigned and sometimes we don't. Um, so it's, it's, it's hard. It's, it's a, there's about a th- – I don't know how many agents there is. Every time we go to an AFLPA meeting, there's probably a couple hundred more. Uh, <laughs> but it's part, how, how are they going to get a player? Like it's they get one and he doesn't get paid, you know, management fees for a year. That's 4% of 100 grand. He gets four grand. He's going to live on that. Yeah, because how, how do – this would be the last question. How do, how do managers get paid? My people would wonder how, how do you guys earn, earn a living? You get a percentage of – Contract yeah, deals. we get look. It's up to us what we decide. I think some companies charge five, and some might be three and a half. But generally, from percent our, of the deal the, of the contract, four yep. percent, and then the sponsorship side of it. Be some, some companies charge fifteen, twenty, and twenty-five. Like we charge appearance or a sponsorship. Yeah, deal so it might be Puma, deal. might be twenty grand. We yep. might go out and source Puma or Channel Seven, you know, or crypto or, yep. or something like that. And so we'll we'll take twenty percent of that. Uh, which is a tax deduction to a certain percentage, as well as the management fees. And and the, the young players, though, as you mentioned, you don't you don't get a fee for the first two years. Well, though, years, well, it's right? up to you. Like I could say, Scoey, right. if you think we do enough work, you don't mind if we charge you a fee in your first year, because um, sometimes we can negotiate a third and fourth year before you get drafted. Mm-hmm. So we're still working, even though. But it, for some unknown reason, the managers in Melbourne when I started all gave the first year free. Mm-hmm. So I just followed suit. But if I wanted to go tomorrow and go, hey, Scoey, I said to you, hey, we start, uh, you get first year, it's 4%, 4%, 4%. Um, yeah, but it's normally, they're sort of the rates. Backchat double underscore, you know where to find us on socials, backchatpodcast.com.au. Thanks to our partners, our supporters. We're talking about sponsorships, Whippersnapper, Whiskey, Margaret River Roasting Co., Blue Bet, Shelter Brewing Co., Leadable Cameras. Um, sign up to Patreon if you want one of those. Get our VIPs in there. Cole, thanks for your time today, mate. Thanks, it's been Cole. unreal. Yep. I, um, you had fun? I have, I have. I actually read a few of those questions this morning. My son sent them through because I didn't know I was doing Q&A today. <laughs> just letting you know, someone said on the question, you know, about haggers. Now, I, I haven't oh, yeah. spoken to Kim Hagdorn right. for probably four years. Yes. Now, 
Kim's probably a, he's a great bloke. I don't have anything to do with him. We've probably fought more like than any other uh, probably media guy to an agent. So, but someone keeps putting out there that I give Haggers stories. Haggers is, doesn't need Colin Young. He's as good as you know. I just said I, I blew with him more than I've. But I don't think I spoke to him for three or four years. So, whoever put that in there, just get rid of that one because that's not true. <laughs> Thank that's you right. very much, Colin. <laughs> well, right. we actually just for uh, keeping it all nice and um, uh, open and honest, we actually got hit up by the West Australian for a copyright infringement for that photo of you in the bath. What were you doing in that bath? Did you really get to, Yeah. That, did, did you um, – was that not from the show? I don't know. I thought it might have been from the show as well. Yeah, so. I think they – well, let's maybe like, – let's convert this into Patreon. All right. See you later. Thanks for listening. Stay around to listen. What happened with that photo in the bath? Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com.